The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. The RISA. Think of it as eHarmony for your retirement plan. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire with Style. I'm here with my trusted companion and sometimes sidekick. Sidekick, Wade? Wade Fowl. It's always the other direction. (laughs) It's always the other direction. Just wanted to see if I could get one on you. How you doing, man? Doing good. Ready to rock and roll here with another episode of Retire with Style. And and what 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 are we talking about today, big guy? Yeah, we are talking about with the retirement income style awareness. Uh, what happens when you have a situation where you have a couple who do not have the same retirement income style, which is something that you can expect. I always say, like when people are are deciding to spend their lives together, usually they're not checking to make sure they have the same retirement style in advance. So there's ultimately six combinations. And then we just want to talk about thinking through some of the strategies and things uh, that can be done with each of those cases to make sure that there's ultimately a compromise strategy that, that both people can be comfortable with. Yeah. And, and at your house, just want to make it clear for everyone, the compromise strategy is your wife wins, correct? <laughs> well, that could be a big part of it. But <laughs> we can get into that too, though, because sometimes... <laughs> One of the two styles might actually serve as more of the compromise, and, and we'll get into all that throughout the episode. But no, I, I get your point as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, and, and again, the genesis is as Arisa is making strong inroads, not just with consumers, but within the advisor community. They're they're hundred, you know, over well over five hundred firms using the Arisa at this point, in, in you know, in almost like a year. So it's really taken off. We're getting a lot of feedback with regards to interpretation, because it's very easy. Okay, one person takes the RISA and the strategy is based on that one person. But as we know, that's not how the world works. There's two folks. And so uh, from that standpoint is, and, and those, you know, as Wade likes to make the joke, when you're kind of dating your spouse, you don't ask them. That's one of the first questions. So what's your retirement income style to make sure we're a good fit? Although one day, Wade, one day we we can dream. We can dream. We'll, the dream on the yeah, dating, we'll that as, dating sites. One of the it'll be part of the eHarmony. Once we get that eHarmony integration, we'll be all set. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, it, it's a great question. Like what happens, right? And so, uh, you know, we, we have, you know, ideas around it, but we thought it'd be great to have a podcast just around that. How do you, how do you compromise with solutions? Because I think think here in the greater scheme of things folks are so used to giving somebody a risk tolerance questionnaire you know and that always assumes a total return strategy and we all know that not everyone's in that category in fact only about a third of the people are there but it starts off with the basis of a total return strategy because the moment you do a risk questionnaire that's kind of what you're implying right what's the portfolio that this goes into and if spouses differ usually you split the difference and that's not really a compromise that's that's kind of a cop-out, if you ask me. 
but you know we wanted to really talk about how different strategies can can be can be assessed and a middle ground can be reached now the only thing we say too when it comes to this is when we give folks the risa and they're and they're a couple we want them to do it separately it's very important they do it separately not somebody overlooking somebody else along those lines because it's, you know <laughs> you're just going to be influenced kind of like the ash effect if you will you're just going to be influenced by other people or there's a lot of leading the witness and all of that stuff going on that's how you can get a, a true sense of things Wait. Right, you really want both people to be able to have their their true voice heard, so that after taking the assessment, that's when the conversation begins. If if you work together on one assessment from the starting point already, you kind of lose sight of somebody's going to dominate and their style is going to be the one reflected on the results. And <laughs> what about the other person? They didn't really have the opportunity to to get a fair chance to have their style reflected as well. So both individuals should separately take the RISA and that would be the starting point. And, and this is the Retire With Style podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. Uh, there are a lot of past episodes <laughs> where we talk in detail about the RISA. For longtime listeners, we don't want to bore everyone, but we should give a 30 second overview of what the RISA is because that's we're going to be talking about the different combinations of styles. And so you've got the two factors, probability-based safety first and optionality commitment. Uh, probability-based, I'm comfortable relying on the market. Safety first, I want contractual protections. Optionality, I want as much flexibility as possible. Commitment, I'm comfortable committing to something that will solve for a lifetime need. And then you have the different combinations of those factors that gives you four different boxes. If your total returns, your probability-based and optionality-oriented that's more traditionally the investment approach. Build a diversified portfolio and take distributions. If you're safety first and commitment oriented, contractual protections, commitment to a strategy, that's income protection. That's I want to have a floor of protected lifetime income from contractual resources. And once that's in place, then I can feel comfortable investing on top of that. And then you've got the other two styles that are going to be less common in practice. They're more hybrids. You've got the time segmentation or bucketing, which is you want the safety first protections, but you also want a lot of optionality and flexibility. And in practical terms, that's let's bucket different assets based on when they'll be used over different time horizons. The simple idea, bonds for short-term expenses, stocks for long-term expenses. The last arc of episodes was about time segmentation specifically. And then finally, risk wrap is probability-based. You're comfortable relying on the market, but you also are okay committing to something. So it's, I, I want this market exposure, but I also want guardrails around that. And then that that's risk wrap. So we've got total returns, income protection, time segmentation, and risk wrap. Now, two different individuals take the RISA, they will each be identified as a retirement style. And it's possible just by the, the flip of the coin, sometimes they'll both have the same style. But more often than not, they will not have the same style. And that's where we want to get into. There's six different possible combinations of styles. And with today's episode, we want to make reference to each of those six combinations and then talk about some of the strategies that might be a way to compromise between the two. Yeah. And, and look, it has, it, remember the underlying assumption here is that there's, there's many ways to get retirement income, right? I mean, Wade and myself are different. I'm income protection. Wade is risk wrap. And so how do you find that compromise? It, it's Wade. It's like you and your wife, right? You want to see uh, Bridgerton. She wants to see Piggy Blinders 
and you settle on the great. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So what's the what's the first combination that we can start 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 talking about? Yeah, well, so this is somewhat random in terms of the order, but we thought we'd first talk about how total returns links to each of the styles and then work from there to get the other combinations. So the first one is one individual in the couple, spouse or partner, is total returns. The other is time segmentation. So you've got the upper right and upper left quadrants of the RISA matrix. You Both people have that optionality orientation, but time segmentation is more safety first. Uh, probability-based. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, total returns is more probability-based. Okay. Uh, what are the first things that come to mind to try to begin to find a middle ground here? The f- well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is really going back to Harold Avinsky in the 1980s wrote about something that he doesn't mm-hmm. call, he specifically says it's not time segmentation, but it might serve as a compromise here. He talked about this idea of a five-year mantra, that if you had five years of spending in cash, and it doesn't necessarily have to be five years, but the idea is if you have this pile of cash sitting on the sidelines, uh, you could use that to help build a bridge to cover spending if markets aren't cooperating. So it does kind of sound like a a bucket of money to cover upcoming expenses. Uh, But he didn't view that as time segmentation. He called it a risk management strategy for, well, well, maybe I'm changing the wording a little bit, but it's like risk management for total returns. You've got your total returns approach, but as part of risk management, you have a bucket of cash available as reserves to help bridge any sort of market downturns and so forth. So to me, that sounds like a compromise between time segmentation and total returns. I think so. And it's more palatable right now simply because of where rates are. You're not looking, you know, previously maybe somebody saying, well, that's dead money. But even right now, I think it's something that, you know, maybe because we're anchoring where rates were, I don't know, three years ago. But the reality is, I again, I, I think it's a more palatable thing. I, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. That's That comes to mind. Uh, keeping cash on the side. And I'd venture to say a lot of clients kind of, at least in my client, they kind of do this in the sense of obviously the money that we have, we have it to manage in the markets. We don't necessarily keep money in cash by ourselves because it's like what, what you don't you don't need to pay us a fee to keep money in cash, right? And so you always get the sense that they have cash on the side for a few years just in case, you know, from that standpoint. So I think it's one of those that practically it's used quite a bit. Now, from a strategic allocation standpoint other than cash reserves because you know cash is still an allocation but let's pretend it's not i think this fits very well into some of the work you've previously done with regards to a rising equity glide path because i think that can begin to serve two masters here it you know the rising equity glide path really makes sure that you have that probability based exposure and at least for the short term you're taking more of a significantly more prudent view of your finances by by having a, a lower equity allocation being in bonds and then letting those mature and just you know by default you increase your equity allocation to the like so you're right. giving yourself that 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 initial at least bucket of safety you want to expand upon that way right right and it's i think in this context it's more you have a bucket a fixed income bucket to cover upcoming expenses but you don't have any plan to replenish that and so as you spend that down, 
you're shifting over to it's kind of initially your your time segmentation, but since you're not going to replenish that bucket you created, you're going to transition into total returns. And once that's spent down, you now have a total return strategy. And having that initial bucket in place can help you manage that sequence of returns risk in the early retirement years, which is what really is driving that time segmented desire with the concerns, the safety first concerns. They want to have protections against sequence risk and that, that bucket can provide mm-hmm. that sort of protection. And the only other thing I would add, and, and we just did a whole arc on time segmentation bucketing. So you, you can ch- check out the previous articles, but we did mention here, and I, I think it bears mentioning, you know, whenever we talk about it is when we're saying a higher exposure to bonds specifically for this piece of it, you know, we're talking about individual bonds. So you can actually, you know, take mm-hmm. the yield, but also let them mature, not necessarily bond funds, simply because, you know, as you saw a few years ago, uh, you know, they're in even this year. Yeah. Well, I don't even want to look, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, they're subject to interest rate risk. (laughs) You were talking 20, 20% drop, you know, a few years back. (laughs) And so that doesn't do you any good either. So you're, you're looking at having things to maturity, you know, when it comes to specifically to an income strategy, bond funds are fine within the context of a overall investment portfolio to reduce deviation and the like, but here is specific to income piece. Now, wait, if somebody reads up on the stuff and sees, hey, but I read something on a bond tent, how is that different from rising equity glide path? How would you, because I think that that serves as that sort of middle ground as well. Uh, Yeah, it's really the the same thing. The bond tent idea is when you look at your asset allocation, if you build like a front end bond ladder that you're going to spend down and not replenish it's, it's kind of this tent that you're creating. It, it would be an upside down tent. Or I guess if you're <laughs> defining your bond allocation, it would be a, a normal looking tent. Your bond allocation starts at the highest level, but then as you spend down that bucket, it comes down and then it flattens out on the ground of where your bond allocation is going to then become fixed as part of the total return strategy. Okay. So, so you then get if, something that looks like a tent when you're plotting your bond allocation instead of your stock allocation. So then if someone is thinking this and they take the RISA, and by the way, we'll have a link below to, you know, to take the RISA as well. So if you have uh, someone's in time segmentation, someone's in total return approach, the middle ground, just a kind of level set here, the middle ground is is effectively a rising equity guide path, having a cash buffer and the like, and that that you, you put those two together and you're you're effectively creating a nice compromise on that end. And then four years pass, you can decide to revisit that. Or maybe the person that was in time segmentation feels comfortable enough that they're like, okay, we've kind of the market you know, was in our favor the first few years. We've gotten past that critical period. I'm fine now with regards to being more total return centric, or it could be the other way. That the the person who was told return just appreciated having that cash on hand, you know, yeah, and, you, and it's helping you get eco- yeah the, through on. the fragile decade that when you're most vulnerable exactly. to that sequence risk. So it you know it, it, it's not so much kicking the can, but it, it gives you that optionality, which is remember that's where what they both have in common. You know where they where they differ is probably safety first, but they're both sort of you know, really clinging to that optionality piece of the equation here. Mm-hmm. Anything else to add on that compromise, Wade? No, I think that covers it. 
You're like King Solomon here. I got one down, five to go. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Next up, batter up. What do we got in the next one? Yeah, the next one is actually probably, of these six that we're talking about, going to be the most common one that you'll see. It's it's total returns and income protection. And, And these are the two most common styles that we observe in practice. And also one of the few demographic differences we see is by gender, uh, men do tend to tilt more in the direction of total returns. Women do tend to tilt more in the direction of, of income protection. And so if you have that combination in a couple, the, the odds are of any of these combinations that you'd see, it's one's total returns, the other, the other is income protection. Now, sometimes what you did for a living and the government has kind of set you up already for this compromise. Mm-hmm. Right. Because with income protection, you don't have to do anything if there's no income gap. The idea is you want what is protected... an income gap? Just to make, just to be specific. Uh, yeah. So you, you want protected income to cover your basic expenses. You already have some protected income. You probably, you have social security, or if you're in a government position, that's not part of social security. That's what I think what you're alluding to is you may have chosen this job because you'll have a large pension at the end of it. So between Social Security and a traditional lifetime pension, you may have sufficient protected income in place that there's no need to enter into the commercial annuity markets. The income gap is once you account for your protected income that you already have in place, is that enough to cover the the spending that you want to have protected? If not, you look to fill that gap with generally like a commercial annuity product that provides a protected lifetime income more in the the fixed annuity world where the payout rates could be higher than in the variable annuity world. So income protection is about filling any gaps with protected lifetime income through an annuity. Uh, Total returns though, there doesn't really seem to, they're not worried about filling that gap because they don't even really emphasize that gap. They look at what's my overall spending goal I'll just take distributions from my investment portfolio. I'm not really distinguishing between my essential spending and my discretionary spending. I'm just looking to meet my overall spending. If I have social security or pension, great. But uh, beyond that, I'm comfortable and happy just spending from my investments to cover the rest. Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com. And subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals. Now, you've done some work on this, which I I think uh, bears mentioning, because I think at least when people hear the word protected income, they think they're sacrificing upside here. Uh, how does that work? If you compre- if you, if you come to a good compromise between these two strategies where there's a portion, you know, let's assume there's de minimis social security and there is no pension, right? But somebody is in, in the income protect protected income and the other one is total return. How does that, how can a compromise be, be adhered to that actually sets them up for potentially a more optimized retirement income experience? Yeah, so as much as possible, thinking about any sort of protected lifetime income as part of the bond allocation. 
becomes important because especially with like a simple income annuity, it really is a bond. The The insurance company is taking your premium and putting it in their general account, which is generally a, a bond portfolio. There may be a little bit of allocation to other things, but it's primarily a bond portfolio. And your payout rate reflects the uh, general level of interest rates at the time of the purchase that's going to become part of that payout. So if I'm a total return individual, I don't think I need an annuity. I'm fine with my stock bond mix, but to help protect that other individual in the couple, all right, let's reposition some of the bonds into the annuity. And then that person can feel more comfortable and you have more risk capacity. Your lifestyle is no longer as vulnerable to a market downturn. And so once you've met the needs of the income protection individual, you can now invest the rest more aggressively. And you're not necessarily even changing the amount of stocks that you own. It was you were allocating from bonds into the annuity. And then if you if that total return person can set that aside, that okay, we, we did put something into an annuity. Now that we've done that, now I can truly have my total return strategy with the rest. I, I think that's a pretty reasonable way to think about a compromise there. I, I think that's an excellent way. It, it also, it, it, while you were saying that, two thoughts came to my head. Wow, wait, I, I, I forgot to mention that you shaved. <laughs> <laughs> Just before the they recorded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, wait, something's different. The other one is, goes back to the work with Blanchett and uh, Finke, which is, once you have this sort of protected income paycheck coming in, you kind of give yourself this license to spend. Because if you're just doing total return, yes, you can be confident, but you always, I, I think you have in the back of your head this little voice that says, well, let me just hold some back just in case, right? Right. And especially if you're doing total returns, but it's not your true style, I think that would be a bigger issue. So yeah, I'm <laughs> somehow worried about you're not allowed to spend that money. A hundred percent. And so not only do you take more conservative allocation, you actually don't even enjoy some, the money that you could spend. And so this on both, uh, what's the right word, on an accounting level and, and on an existential level, I think is a great compromise <laughs> because it, it wins on, on, on all fronts. It's, you know, I, I, I like it a lot, you know, when, when it comes to that. Uh, what's another thing that can be done? And it begins with a Q. <laughs> yeah, so another way to just treat the income protection with less assets is some sort of deeply deferred income annuity and the, the QLAC, the Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract, which is the IRA equivalent of a deferred income annuity that gives you the extra deferral on required minimum distributions as well. That can provide that tail of longevity protection so that if I, if I have a QLAC that's going to kick in at age 85, I don't have to worry about what if I live to 105 and I run out of money? I can now tailor things more towards, I got to make sure my money lasts age 85. Then if the, assuming the QLAC income is big enough, I can kind of coast after that point with the, the QLAC. And because it skips all these payments, if it only begins making payments at age 85, it's going to be much less expensive than purchasing an income annuity that would begin payments immediately for the rest of your life. The other, the other thing I would say here, uh, here's where it's, it's an interesting point where we talked about the first one where total return and time segmentation, there, there are dissimilarities in safety first, probability based, but there are similarities in optionality. Here, they're, they're diametrically opposed. 
in the sense of one is probability based and one is optionality and one is uh safety first and the and commitment orientation so they, they, there's no there's no kind of similar anchor that they can use and so something to think about here when i'm looking at this is the folks in the protected income you know they're on the lower side of the matrix and you tend to have more of this longevity aversion right running out of money fear right whereas on the total return approach it's not that they're not worried about you know running uh, they're not worried about essential expenses it's just they're not concerned about it. the example of you know breathing air i'm not worried about I know oxygen is important, but I'm not worried about running out of breath, you know, in this podcast, right? And so those folks that are in the total return are more concerned about discretionary stuff, you know, these sort of higher level goals. And that's where they need that exposure to the market. So coming to some sort of middle ground around those two competing forces, if you're an advisor, I would try to get at the root of it. If you're, you know, talking to your spouse, I would try to get at the root of it. I think we'll go a long way towards QLAC, how much of the bond replacement do I want to do, et cetera, et cetera. Wait. And, and back to the point you were making too at the beginning about like just mathematically, a lot can be said for income protection. And uh, oh, you're yeah. not necessarily giving up the upside potential. It's If you're not selling stocks to purchase annuities, if you're selling bonds to purchase annuities for individuals who face longevity risk mm-hmm. where they don't know how long the money needs to last Annuities can work much more effectively than bonds to to meet that particular goal in the face of longevity risk. And so I tend to argue that mathematically, income protection is a stronger strategy. Now, with respect to the retirement styles, if somebody's total returns, fine, do your total returns approach at the end of the day. It's, it's up to you, and that's a viable strategy as well. But when you have people who are both income protection and total returns, then I have to get back to the point of, well, truly speaking about this, income protection is a better better way to do things. So go ahead and, and meet the needs of that individual. And then you can go hog wild with the rest for your total returns approach. Hog wild, Wade? Hog wild? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can. So I will avoid talking. All, all kinds of dramatic <laughs> asset allocation strategies. <laughs> nice, nice. No, no, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, 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 I kind of, it's, there's a beauty there's a beauty in the simplicity of just look you know take a little bit from here take a little bit from there now we said annuities just for the uninitiated what specific annuities on protected income are, are you kind of referring to as bond replacements well the the natural one these are the simple income annuities single premium immediate annuities deferred income annuities and, and QLAC qualified longevity annuity contract is a type of deferred income annuity you exchange a lump sum premium for a guaranteed income for life it's the simplest kind of annuity, it's there's no quoted fees on them, but if you reverse engineer, it's usually a relatively cheap way to provide lifetime income protections. That's generally what I'm start, uh, talking about here. Also, it's worth looking at fixed index annuities with lifetime income protections because their payout rates, though in theory, should not be competitive with income annuities in practice. They sometimes are. Okay. Again, I wanted to bring that out simply. Simply because uh, we're going to be talking about now different types of annuities when we get to different types of potential middle ground compromises. Mm-hmm. Numero cuatro. That we are. <laughs> that we oh, are. One. We're at oh, number three oh, now. Numero tres. I know my sorry, Spanish. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I messed Chase. up. I messed up. I messed up. Numero tres. <laughs> Numero tres. Yes. This is going to be go. total returns and risk wrap. 
So this is where on the right-hand side of the matrix, both total returns and risk wrap are probability-based, so comfortable relying on the market. But total returns is more optionality-oriented. Risk wrap is more commitment-oriented, comfortable committing to a lifetime strategy. Yeah, so here you have that common ground now, some sort of market exposure, if you will. Uh, what what do you think here? What what could be some nice compromises here? Yeah, I would imagine it would have to do with guardrails. Yeah, I mean, so they both both of these are comfortable with relying on the markets, but the risk wrap just somehow doesn't want to be fully dependent on <laughs> relying on the market. So having some sort of guardrail, a couple options there. We're seeing more and more developments in the area of. Well, in the true investment world, like a buffered ETF, but in the annuity world, the, the RILA, the registered index linked annuity, uh, these are, they, they change the, normally investment returns have a bell curve distribution, a long tail to the left, negative returns, a long tail to the right, positive returns. Most of the returns centered around the average that sort of bell, looks like a bell. Uh, these structured annuities or structured ETFs just change that. There's, they cut away some of the downside risk in exchange for having less downside risk. They take away some of the upside growth potential. But still, for someone who wants a guardrail, it can be worthwhile to uh, accept less upside potential in favor of having uh, more protections on the downside as well, less of a downside risk exposure. So that's a practical way to get a guardrail. The other would be just in the world of traditional deferred variable annuities with living benefits, looking for something that has more investment freedom so that you can invest more aggressively, but with the lifetime income protections. If markets do well, you get step-up opportunities for higher income. If markets don't do so well, you, you have a floor on how low your spending can go. And that floor is often lower than with the other kinds of fixed annuities we were talking about previously. But the, the trade-off, again, is you have this guardrail to then give you more upside potential, uh, a lower downside floor, but more upside potential, growth potential that can appeal more to the risk wrap style. I think that's spot on. What would you say to somebody listening in and their response to you is, but markets aren't, the returns aren't distributed like a Nobel curve. They're leptocurtic. <laughs> they're fat tails. No, I'd say, I, that uh, still I, looks I, like a bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 I would yeah. say, shut up. <laughs> that's what I would say. <laughs> No, you always get those, right? You always get you and you always yeah, say. There's always somebody that has to say, "Oh, but it's not normally distributed." Blah blah. Well, blah, blah, it's, blah. it's yeah, not normally <laughs> distributed. It could have a fat tail, but it still looks like a bell. No, I, I get it. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm more like it's good enough for what we're talking about. No, I get it. Yeah, and so here, where you have flexibility, is the guardrails. At the end of the day, you you know you're, you're getting exposure, so it's you know how big of a safety net do you want? you know, around that. And the more, the bigger the safety net, the less market exposure, right? And so it's that kind of give and take here. And as you said, RILAs, but also variable annuities with living benefits, you know, you would have. As we- And ones that emphasize more investment freedom, because every every yeah. insurance company will have a different marketing angle on their living benefits. Some of them put more emphasis on having investment freedom while others, you may be very limited in how aggressively you can invest. When you own that protection, you're motivated to invest more aggressively because you have something that if markets do well, you benefit. If markets do poorly, 
you you have that protection in place so that you're not exposed to the full downside uh, risk. The, the insurance company will be on the hook to pay you a protected lifetime income. So you take advantage of that by investing as aggressively as you can. And then some variable annuities allow you to invest more aggressively than others. So it's more the uh, the ones that allow you to invest more aggressively potentially. No, 100%. I think that's spot on. Now, we talked about here, well, we talked about total return and uh, risk wrap. They're all to the right. They are all they all have that common denominator of probability-based. Now, what happens if they all have a common denominator of safety first, you know, but they differ on optionality and commitment? That would be time mm-hmm. segmentation and protected income, otherwise known yeah, as we're... numero Numero cuatro. <laughs> numero cuatro. <laughs> no more total returns. We're now, right, it's time yeah. segmentation and That's right. And Let's move away income. from total return. Let's move away from the Ken Fishers of the world. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, by the way, yes. I don't know if you heard On this. The day of our recording, the Dave Ramsey's of the world, too. Yeah, He's yeah. I was going to mention that to you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Did you see that on social me. media? I, you know, but, you know, it's almost like, in, in FYI, Dave Ramsey had a little rant. It's on Twitter about, oh, just take 8% a year and you're fine because the market's returned 12%. Inflation is 4%. So 12 minus 4 is 8 and off you go, right? Obviously, that's stupid. And it's, it doesn't even <laughs> merit. No, it, it is what it is. I'm not going to, you know, pussyfoot around here. But it's it doesn't even merit a response, you know. But, you know, the fintwit world is going up in arms saying, oh, look at this guy. And, and they're, they're using it like as a punching bag. But to me, the guy's irrelevant. So it's just who cares, right, you know, when it comes to that. But you're right, it, it, you know. It's He's an example kind of, of like, an extremist total returns position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're really comfortable relying on the market. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're married to it no matter what. Uh, okay, so time segmentation and protected income on the left-hand side. What do you got? What do you got for me, man? Yeah, so with time segmentation, it's more about front-end protections. With protected income, it's more about lifetime protections. And so how do you develop a compromise between the two? There's a a few things we can look at there. One, if we're leaning more in the time segmentation direction, it could just be having a bigger front end like ladder or front end like a bigger short-term bucket. (laughs) Your your front end ladder, instead of being three years, is going to be eight years. Let me me set that up actually a little bit more because I started thinking. So just to think (laughs) conceptually, so time segmentation, that person is thinking of having protected income, like, like contractual income in windows of time. Right. If you go to protected income, sorry, contractual income, you go to the protected income piece, that person wants a complete floor in perpetuity. So how do you balance somebody that wants contractual income in windows of time versus someone that wants contractual income over perpetual floor? And so you can't have both. So what do you do here? Right. Right. And and yeah, then the first there's a few different approaches, but the first one is this just well. Whatever the length of ladder that time segmentation person would have picked, extend it some to create more yeah. comfort for the income protection. It's still not yes. a lifetime protection, but you've got a, a bigger front end ladder. Yes. So if somebody initially, their own proclivity is, look, I want two, three years. I want three years of protected income. That's what I want my ladder to be. But the other spouse is, I want like a pension. I want an income floor. I don't want to mess around every three years. Then the answer is maybe get a seven-year ladder. Or something like that. You know, that's that's one way of doing it. extending that. That way you give yourself more time and hopefully they you know, it's it's that's a you know, both of them kind of are, are good with that middle ground 
piece there. Uh, you know, and you do that, you can do that with a bond ladder. And again, by bond ladders, we're, we're specifically, I always say this, but we mean like safe security, like government securities, you know, or you can do that with a MIGA, which is effectively the, the insurance version of a CD ladder, if you will. Yeah, that's a multi-year guaranteed annuity. To... Yeah, MIGA, multi-year guaranteed annuity. Sorry for the acronym. Uh, <laughs> okay, does QLAC also work there? And yeah, so? yeah, back to the QLAC again. It's, so another option is... the other way, yeah. <laughs> yes, coming in, right, from the other direction, income protection wants that protected lifetime income. Well, it's like we were saying earlier, you get the protected lifetime income, but by starting that income at a later date, it lowers the costs of the protected income. And it still provides you that tail of if I start this income at 85, it may not cost me a whole lot, but now I know I've got a protected lifetime income starting at age 85. And that could satisfy the income protection desires while at the same time, because it takes less money to do that, it still leaves plenty to build that front end time segmented ladder as well and have growth portfolios as well. It could be another angle at getting at a compromise there. Are you getting close to or are you in retirement? Well, investing during retirement is a little bit different than during your working years. Your investments are there to help you pay for retirement. And now is when they need to earn their keep. To make sure you're on the right track, download Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by heading over to retirementresearcher.com slash 8 tips. Again, get Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by going to retirementresearcher.com slash 8 tips. That's the number 8 tips. And then the the final approach here would be a fixed index annuity potentially where you don't necessarily use the living benefit, but you're thinking of it more part of that front end um, bucket. But every annuity does have an annuitization option included. And so it's kind of like you have the option to turn on a lifetime income that you may or may not ever take advantage of. Uh, but it's there. And, and the fact that it's there is maybe going to help that uh the income protection person feel more comfortable because you have the principal protection with a fixed index annuity. A big market downturn isn't going to suddenly deplete that asset. You you know what its worst case scenario will be if you never get any step ups. And so you can always kind of keep track of, well, if I were to annuitize, annuitize this contract, here's the protected income that I would get. And so you're not buying the lifetime annuity, but you're holding in the back of your mind that you have this option to buy the lifetime income protection. Uh, and that could potentially be another way to compromise by having this sort of deferred fixed annuity or a MIGA can get you the same, same sort of thing. Yeah. Your front end buckets could be converted into lifetime income floors. If you, I think personally so that's where desire. I would go for whatever reason that sings to me the most uh, of these, of these options, you know, in, in, in this type of compromise, but again, to each his own, right? Mm-hmm. I'd stick to the eight percent mm-hmm. distribution. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that in that most recent clip, it was advice for somebody at around age thirty who was ready to retire and was wondering if they can use an eight percent withdrawal rate. Really? Let's we'll see. <laughs> see how that plays out. Yes. Yes. Some more to <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number five. So now let's go diametrically opposed the other way. 
uh, time yeah. segmentation, and risk wrap. So you have here, to me, this is interesting because these are these are both behavior strategies. You know, they're they're not necessarily you know they're they're kind of a blend of total return and protected income. You know, it's just you know how you want to do this. And again, to me, it's it's quite interesting. But with time segmentation and risk wrap, uh, far away. What 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 are, what are some thoughts that come to your mind that come to mind? Well, and, and first, the noting this is going to be the least likely combination of the six we're talking about today because thank god because this is the toughest to compromise on (laughs) well yeah right (laughs) they are really diametrically opposed and they're also less common and so to get a couple where these their time segmentation risk graph it won't happen too often start with a marriage counselor (laughs) (laughs) yeah but there's a few possible ideas here uh, sometimes when people talk about like a variable annuity with a living benefit or some of its cousins, like a, it's called a contingent deferred annuity, it's like a living benefit you put on an investment portfolio. There's this idea of pay for this protection during that fragile decade. And then if markets do fine, you can drop it. Once you get past any sort of surrender charge period, you could just decide to no longer uh, own that annuity. Uh, not have to pay for that lifetime income protections for the rest of your life. And so it's that could be a way to think about we're going to have this variable annuity with a living benefit, which is the risk wrap solution. <laughs> but if we're just thinking, let's just look at how things go over the next five or 10 years. And if markets do okay and we're not getting hit by a bad sequence of returns risk, we'll drop that protection. You could kind of frame that as a bucket a short-term bucket to provide that safety first sort of protection for those early retirement years. And then if, if markets do poorly, then you would, the at that point, the variable annuity would be in the money, the, the living benefit. You're likely to then be able to have that lifetime income protection from it. But I think the time segmentation person could sort of frame a potentially short-term use of a living benefit as a, a way to build a short-term bucket. It's interesting uh, as we're saying these two. You know, you, you start thinking about okay, how can I, you know, bring something to light here? And there's there's blending strategies, which is kind of we've been discussing, but we've also discussed an order of strategies. Try this one first to to sort of accommodate that thing, uh, to accommodate that preference, and play it by ear. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, then execute the second strategy. You follow what I'm getting at? Like there is this ordinal piece to it. You're not kind of like blending where where you're doing total return income protection. That's a true blend because you're saying, okay, that's going to be part of your bond allocation and the overall piece, you know, the, 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 the annuity is part of your bond replacement strategy, et cetera, right? Here, it's almost like try this as a starting point, see how it goes. And then if it goes, if it goes, accordingly if it goes you know stupendously great if it doesn't go stupendously then execute this strategy right i, I kind of get that vibe listening to you speak am i off on that no no that's a fair assessment of and it's it's that and it's just having different options and thinking about well which one do we feel is a better compromise in our personal case but but yeah i mean if if that's not really going to work for you, or if that's not on the table, that we talked earlier about 
the idea of cash reserves, and this might be another area where you can emphasize that is the more broader, the buffer asset idea, which could be cash. It could be the growing line of credit on a home equity conversion mortgage, aka reverse mortgage. Or it could be if you had life insurance in place, the uh, the cash value of life insurance, which is, you could frame that it's it's not a short-term bucket, but if markets aren't cooperating and you need the safe, it is a safety first, it is a contractually protected type income source that you could pull from during a market downturn to satisfy the time segmentation concerns. Well, at the same time, it's a guardrail. You still, you're, you're taking the investment-based approach with risk wrap. But if there's a market downturn, rather than selling from a declining portfolio, you're going to tap into this alternative resource held outside the investment portfolio that's not correlated with the markets so that it's, it's not losing value when the market's going down and it can provide a bridge to cover spending during that sort of market downturn. And that's how you could frame it as a guardrail on the, the risk wrap side. So it's I like more what, framing. Yeah, but I, I I like what you're bringing in. You've introduced a, a couple of concepts here that I think are worth mentioning. I think sometimes we're anchored in retirement income and it has to it has to have some sort of investment portfolio piece to it. It all has to be driven by the investments. And so you start thinking, how can I come up with solutions that have to do with some something with a ticker symbol, right? That has participation in the market, right? We've expanded that to include the annuities, which are, you know, contractual insurance products. But you brought two things to light. The HECM, the, the, the equity line of credit on a reverse mortgage, and, uh, you know, a straight up life insurance, piece to it, you know, building up the cash reserves. And so I think it's important when you're thinking of compromises to amplify your solution set beyond just a traditional investment portfolio. And as much as you can profile individuals with a reset, you can profile solutions. And so what Wade just did here is you brought two non-investment centric solutions, such as the, the insurance policy and the HECA. And, and, and shown how that could be used, you know, to come to this middle ground, mm-hmm. if you will. Right, Wade? I mean, uh, I, I think that's yeah, kind of cool. It's, it's, there's, kind of, there's four different ways to manage sequence risk, and, and this is the, the buffer asset approach. It's the, the asset outside the portfolio that can be a temporary resource that, that provides a guardrail. And it also provides characteristics of a short-term bucket. It's just you're not yeah. automatically tapping into it. So the guardrail satisfies the risk wrap and the short-term window satisfies the, well, let me, the window component, whether it's short or medium, mm-hmm. I don't know. But the window component satisfies the buffer, the, the, the time segmentation piece, better said. Yeah. I think it's good. Wait, I think this is the first time we've called the time correctly in terms of, oh, this should take one episode. We didn't know how many episodes th- this would be, but we're rolling nicely. What do you think? Yeah. Continue? We just got one more to go. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, final combination. <laughs> the final countdown. <laughs> All right. Uh, number six, we have now the common theme here that we started with the common theme being optionality. The common theme here is commitment orientation, right? They differ on safety mm-hmm. first and probability, but commitment orientation is the same. And this is protected income and risk wrap. Take That's it away. Right. 
And if you liked Alice's singing there, please let us know in the podcast <laughs> reviews. <laughs> if you want more, more Alex singing. In the Who future. doesn't like Europe? Who doesn't like Europe? <laughs> I think that's who does that, right? That's a yeah, Arrested and, Development reference as well. Yeah, right. That's Look when, at that. when Job comes out to do his <laughs> illusions. <laughs> All right. But yeah, we've got income protection and risk wrap. So these are both more in the commitment orientation. So if there is an income gap, looking to fill that gap with a protected lifetime mm-hmm. income source, income protection is more what can give me the highest possible payout rate in the worst case market scenarios. And then I don't worry as much about growth potential. Risk wrap is more, I'll accept a lower payout rate in the worst case scenarios because I believe there's going to be potential for growth and step-ups and and increased income over time. Well, where do you find a compromise between the two? It can be (laughs) just looking at the different annuity options, probably more in the space of the either the fixed index annuity or the registered index linked annuity world with living benefits. And if it's a fixed index annuity, there's different ways interest is credited. Sometimes you have a participation rate, which could be say, just I'm making up numbers, but you get 70% of the price returns, positive price returns for the underlying market index where, and no matter it's unlimited, it's uncapped. Or if you put in a cap, you could say, instead of getting 70% of the price returns, I'll get hundred percent of the price returns up to a cap of 10%. And I don't get anything beyond 10%. So if markets do better, if there's a big market return, the participation rate credits more interest. If you get a small positive market return, the, the cap approach gives you a, a higher accredited uh, interest. So, so but, if, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, based on your, 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 your sort of uh, setup here, I would imagine then the participation rate is what you would want to lean towards as opposed to the cap rate. If you're right, right, more too. risk-wrappy. It's, yeah. it's more risk-wrappy. <laughs> it's kind of a more risk-wrap orientation to go with the participation rate over the cap. So that's the sort of thing. Looking at um, compromises that are giving you an adequate amount of downside protections, but also giving you more upside growth potential as well. So somewhere in that sort of middle ground between fixed index annuities and, and registered index linked annuities. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's. Benefits. I think that's good. I mean, uh, I think this is a good overview. I mean, you you could always get more nuanced and the like, but because it's a podcast, and no, there are no like slides to see. You know, the you know the limits of what someone can visualize. You know, uh, will will decay the the impact of what we say. So I I think this is good. But I mean, to me, at a general level, what what we've done here, if you think of these quadrants as colors, basic colors. We're creating, you know, we have those as our primary colors, and so we're able to create other colors. So as opposed to, again, I can't stress this enough, in practice, you know, somebody does a risk questionnaire, which, again, just assumes total return. And that's just one-third of the population. Don't forget, another, you know, 33% of the people will identify as protected income, and 15% will will be time segmentation, and 15% will be risk reps. you got two-thirds of the population that are not resonating with total return right and so uh, uh, and especially when it comes to retirement income a risk questionnaire is is useless you know when, when it comes to that because it just doesn't it doesn't uh, pull for the sensitivities around retirement income that you would want for so if you're if you're kind of splitting the difference on some sort of allocation from a risk questionnaire you're using the wrong tool for the job 
And so I, I think a much better way to go about doing it is something like this, where, you know, think about total return being yellow and think about protected income being the color blue. And so now it's a matter of not splitting the difference between yellow or splitting the difference between blue, but trying to find the right shade of green. Yellow and blue. Uh, yeah, now yeah, I understand I, that you slide that? that you made that has those circles with colors. I didn't you had didn't no idea that? why you were. <laughs> really? <laughs> now I understand the slide. <laughs> really? Are you being serious? <laughs> it's like you added a slide where there are these circles. Yeah, 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 I know what you're talking colors. about. I know. You know what I was, I was worried? I Am I going to get the colors right when I say this? No, no, no. That's what you're doing. You're really, you're really like, you know. What you're doing is you're, you're, you're trying to get the right shade of green. And the right yeah. shade of green when you're playing with yellow and blue is, okay, what, what we just discussed on this podcast. You know, these, this is how you want to be thinking about this. Again, I can't stress enough. There's no right or wrong answer. But this is the type of mindset that you need to give it to. And this is the type of thinking. Everyone will have. You know, we could, we could do this podcast again, and we would probably come up with slightly different answers, to be completely honest here. You know, not slight, but, you know, we'd have different ways of explaining it. The point being now, what's important is not that. What's important is the the decision making that we took to come up with the solutions, and that's that's kind of what this framework helps us do to a large extent. Wade, you want to take us home? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So thanks everyone for listening, and hopefully this was helpful. I learned something about the different <laughs> shades of colors, and hope you did too. And we'll catch you next time on Retire with Style. So have a good All week, right. everyone. All right, everyone. Take care. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results. 